This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Julie from A Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Hi, I'm Misa. We're going to talk about The Jungle Book, a book from 1894 uh, by Rudyard Kipling. Uh, I would, I normally would say a novel from 1894, but it's not really a novel. <laughs> and yeah. it's not a collection either. It's very interesting. It is a collection, but it's not a collection in the normal sense. And yet it is a collection in the normal sense. So normally a collection uh, is a book that is previous previously published stories brought together and sold as a book, right? Which this <laughs> is. The stories mm-hmm. individually were sold to magazines. And yet, apparently, this is interesting, um, Kipling wrote the whole thing for his daughter. Yes, read that. And and then it was published for his I mean, for other people too, but the story, the mm-hmm. stories and the whole book was like a, here's a book of children's stories to give to your kid to read. Oh, wait, I, I'm the one making them. You know, <laughs> this is the sort of book yeah. that I, I'm pretty sure I was read to or read when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And now you've got a guy who's your dad who's who's writing that. And she was six years old when she died. Yeah. Which is the same age he was when he left India. Oh, my goodness. That's that interesting? right. Yeah, um, that's so sad. So he wrote them for her before she died or not yeah. as if he was writing to her after? Okay, because I know he wrote the just so stories for his children. He would tell them to them and they wanted them just so the way <sighs> kids do if you change the telling. And they're all kind of where did animals and their different connections come from. So my little volume, which is from the collector's library, has the Just So stories and the Jungle Book in one volume. She died, so it's kind of like a perfect continuation. She died in 1899, so the, five years after the book was published. Okay. Uh, she was a baby, obviously, when he, yeah. he wrote it. But um, that means he could read it to her, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it says that in... 2010 they found a copy of the book with a handwritten note to his daughter in it oh yeah yeah sweet <laughs> it's says like an inscribed version that's i guess the ultimate collector's edition right <laughs> yeah <laughs> sadly um it's not really a sad book even though it's got lots of sad stuff going on in it it's kind of the opposite of a sad book Right? Because he tells I, it so matter-of-factly, I, I think. figure out whether it was sad or not sad. I mean, it, because, it, we should be sad for the things that happen, yeah. but none of the things seem sad. They just seem kind of wonderful or interesting. Matter, yeah, it's, I guess it's like the, the law of the jungle, I guess. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. There are things, and, and I think that's it, because when I was reading it, I thought, oh... I had remembered, and I kind of wrote to you about this, Jesse, going, I thought it was all Mowgli stories. Yeah. stories. Well, it is Mowgli stories, but it's got other but, stories in it, right? Yeah. There's only three, and then the rest are different stories about animals. And as I read, I thought, that's funny how these are all thrown in here. And then I went, oh, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. 
there's a natural progression in these stories that kind of is like an echo of the Jungle Book, mm-hmm. which I found, since you're saying he wrote these deliberately, I don't know if he was thinking of them that way, but whoever organized my book anyway was a genius because the, you know, it's that thing of... No, he, he organized things, it, yeah. Okay, well then he clearly, I think he was thinking about the fact that the first story about the white seal is about the the animals needing to live away from man so they can live a happy life naturally. And then as the stories go on, the animals are increasingly interacting with men, but just like uh, Ricky Ticky Tavi is, you know, still himself. Mm -hmm. He's not being influenced by the people. And then as they go on, you wind up with the one about the, his, is it called his majesty's, her majesty's servants where they're completely subordinate and don't really understand their own nature very well. Mm. And it's not bad. It's just very matter of fact, like Misa was saying, mm-hmm. because that's how animals would see things. I found that one very distressing because it wasn't just the like it, it felt like what the the way the animals were, you know, forced to obey the orders without knowing why or mm-hmm. or like they're they're suffering. Like it didn't seem like that was just for the animals. It it seemed like anybody anybody that goes to war is is living this. But I did like the I did like the way it circled back, or it, the way it went <laughs> back to the seal story. The white seal story was mm. the one that the the one seal that didn't say, yeah, they come at well, they come once a year, they take they take a bunch away and they kill them. Eh, that's just life. That one, yeah. that bucked against it, found Shangri La. You yeah. know, he found. So, like, I guess there was redemption in that way. When you come back to that story, he led his people to the promised land, essentially, <laughs> he because he was different because he thought he was willing to think differently and, and buck against, you yeah. know, he was like Mowgli, that, that like scene, most of them, but different. That scene when the the seal comes back to the beach and he sees his his friends uh, um, and there's they he didn't recognize yeah. them because their skin is missing. It's like, whoa, uh, oh, brutal. he really was. Wow. Because it shows that, you know, Kipling can be accused of being hard-hearted when you read some of this stuff. And you read that and you go, no, he wasn't. He knew exactly Mm -hmm. how awful people could be or how heartless it looked from the other point of view Mm -hmm. while they were completely unaware of thinking of it. You know, the the seal hunters, they wouldn't even think about it. In that last section, uh, Her Majesty's Servants, with all the working uh, beasts of burden, right? Um, That actually is – it's interesting because – that's the perspective that uh, Kipling sympathized with when he was hanging out with the army guys, right? He it was with the right. the lower ranks, not the upper class, right? The not the mm-hmm. officers. He's from the officer class naturally, given that his father's important, mm-hmm. blah blah blah. But he's hanging out with the the simple working guys and how they see it, and you know. Talking mm-hmm. about who whose master is is steady in battle, and not knowing what they're there for, but that yeah. that's it's pretty interesting. And uh, I again, Jesse's not very quick with these uh, themes in the book <laughs> that people are always going for. <laughs> but I'm reading the Wikipedia entry. Yep, um, I see. I see. Yeah, those are the themes: is obedience and finding your place in in society and. Huh. And that sort of um, responsibility and the fact that this book um, is kind of a uh, template for the Baden-Powell scouts on how, you know, right action should 
should look and sort of interaction with nature as a system rather than uh you know all these animals are for us to eat right yes they are for us to eat but we have certain responsibilities towards them and, and right. in the troop you like apparently one of the titles in in scouts i i didn't join the scouts but i i, I know a little bit about them um is, is and it says in here uh one of the the titles is taken from you know, like informal tr- uh, scout leader is taken from the book. Um, I can't remember uh-huh. which one it is now. Um, but actually, really? it, it this is just an exemplar of how many tendrils this book has grown into even our modern day <laughs> society. It's hard to... Like, I guess we were talking about this with Kim as well, right? How how influential the book is, not just with Heinlein, but with, uh, Oh yeah. With, you know, there was a movie in the eighties and mm-hmm. it's a, it's, it's sort of a, it's a very iconic thing to point to for a certain period of time of India. And even with the great game, it shows up in, uh, more recent books. I'm thinking, um, uh, Tim Powers book, right. Is it got, what's that book? We, you guys weren't on that podcast, I don't think. Well, maybe you were. What was the Tim Powers book we did? Oh, Scott and I did that one. Yeah, ourselves. that's right. That's um, what it was. Um, well, you guys did it too. I'm, oh gosh, Declare. why Stranger Declare? That's huh? the name of it. Declare. Yeah. So, which is a, a about a World War II spies. Um, right. And they they're also finding something. Uh, some sort of religious power in the desert uh, mm-hmm. after the war. And uh, Kim, <laughs> Kim's The Great Game is going on in the background of that. And right. uh, yeah. just the novel Kim is going on in the background of that. So here's here's a really shocking one for me. Uh, for years, I've been going to this website <laughs> called Happy Trust. And it never occurred to me why it was called that. I just assumed there was some family named the Hathies who left a lot of money <laughs> to, uh, you know, some foundation and decided that digital library, uh, you know, book scan. It's basically where all Google books that got scanned go. It's all the libraries oh, uh, okay. from the universities. So if you want to look up any really That's old book. That's really cool. Really? Yeah. yeah. So it's hathitrust.org. And that's okay. called H-A-T-H-I, trust.org. And I use it all the time. Unfortunately, it, Oh, like the elephant, you mean? Yes. Yeah. And their symbol is the elephant. But it never occurred okay. to me where the name... I just assumed it was a family name, like some family left a yeah, foundation. Right. It's not. It's from this book. Well, <laughs> that, yeah. Now, that's really, really cool. Isn't that weird? But it's a, it's a really important place to find text, like... If I'm not getting them from the unofficial scanners who I think are doing, uh, if there is a God, a God's work <laughs> on this planet. Just, just say yes. They're doing well, God's work. They, they, I mean, <laughs> is there anything more valuable than, than preserving uh, the ephemera of 19th and 20th century magazines? I don't think so. I, I, I think that's the greatest thing you could ever do. Uh, hence why I do it all day long, right? Um, and, and so this is, if you're a a scholar and you have access to the university, like Eric Rabkin does, he, 
he can get behind the paywall of Hathi Trust uh, to get things right. really well. Me, I have to do a page at a time or, um, you know, I had one of my friends program a scraper, which is a program that oh, goes yeah. in and, you know, pulls out automatically all the pages that you want. Um, and then I found out there was another person who had done the same thing, you know, because it's such a good resource, but it's all hidden. Or if it's not hidden, it's it's just hard to access because, you know, big systems, they don't they don't really operate for human beings. They operate for other institutions. But it's so valuable, this resource. And now it's like, wow, of course, elephants never forget. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and they're wise. Yeah. yeah. Now, that made me think of another book that is not mentioned on the Wikipedia entry and is so obviously incredibly inspired by the Jungle Book that you cannot not remember it as well. So, uh, there is an audiobook company, which I really like. Uh, there's a couple of audiobook companies I really like, uh, and there's a couple or one major one that I think is... Is doing a lot of good stuff and also is terribly evil. But uh, the one that I really like, <laughs> the one, of the, ones, one <laughs> of the ones that I really like is called Tantor. Oh, yeah. Tantor yeah. Audio or Tantor Media. You guys right. know where its name came from? No. No. I bet you do. <laughs> well, probably. Tantor, Tantor is the elephant. Tantor is the elephant from Tarzan of the Apes. Oh. Okay. Now, yeah. each of the characters in Tarzan of the Apes, all of the different animals in the jungle, all have names. And they all have mm-hmm. names in the same way as the animals in this jungle have names. They're supposed to be what people call them, right? So the, ha- right. Uh, the Hathi uh, comes from the Indian word for elephant, right? Uh-huh. And uh, Baloo is Indian word for bear, right? And all the different animals... All the different animal names in this book come from a real guy's experience in India and also his knowledge of the country. Mm-hmm. After he went back there when he was 16, right? he goes from zero to six in India, and then he goes away for 10 years, comes back uh, for another six years or so, and relearns all the things that he learned, um, mm-hmm. including you know the names for all the jungle animals. Yeah, because he spends a lot of time hanging out with what other people call lowlifes. Right. right. And lesser down people, because right. he was interested in all of it. And you, you notice yeah. that, that the class stuff shows up in the book, too, when the Mowgli goes to town. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's hanging out with the wrong people. He's yeah, doing the yeah. labors of the <laughs> people who shouldn't be uh, laboring with. Um, it, so, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs obviously so very obviously read the jungle book and said mm-hmm. wow that'd make a good story <laughs> which he totally did tarzan is mowgli's story but in africa and when he grows up right he doesn't just remain a child um it has the fostering but not by wolves in this case it's by apes hence tarzan of the right. apes he gets an, his name from the the jungle animals he learns the language of all the animals of the jungle and he learns not to be uh, unlike um uh, mowgli who is adaptable and uh um he fits in but doesn't you know crown himself king of the jungle exactly but mm-hmm. he has a series of 
lessons where he learns, right? And his body is damaged by his brothers, his his um, right. society. He can do more labor than anybody else in the society. But <laughs> the difference is, is when you read Tarzan, you're actually reading pure fantasy because guy who wrote Tarzan never went to Africa. He put a tiger in Africa. He doesn't know anything about <laughs> yeah. Africa. Yeah. And his relationship to the native peoples in Africa is not that of a, a colonizer who's sympathetic to the colony, but rather <laughs> a guy who right. kind of, you know, ignorantly says, of course we're better. I've never been there myself, but I know right. a white man mm-hmm. can try. And this is not to say that you shouldn't read Tarzan because you should. It's really good. Uh, but it is yeah. a, this is a fable set in a real place with a sort of a real vibe to it. And that is a fantasy about how, you know, if you grow up in a jungle, you'll, you'll become the great man, uh, a superhero, essentially. And, and that becomes even more obvious when you read any of the sequels. It, mm-hmm. it goes more and more and more toward fantasy, which is the way Edgar Rice Burroughs thought anyway. He right. did John Carter. And Monks he's amazing. And he's an books, amazing so. writer, but oh, he's yeah, not writing from experience. Rem- right. And you have to remember the context of the times. And that's interesting. I had never made that connection. But you talking about the authors, both the different authors' experiences and what they brought to it makes me understand why I enjoyed the first Tarzan a lot. Mm -hmm. But the other ones with decreasing enjoyment, and that's where he has more interaction with the native people Mm -hmm. or with, um, you know, different adventures and things. And it just didn't hold my attention because there's not this sympathy and fellow feeling maybe. No existential crisis. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't. You're right. He doesn't have an existential crisis. There's a, a terrible scene in the first in the first uh, Tarzan book, where he first encounters native people um, who had hunted one of his his kin, right, his mother, right, um, uh, filled her full of arrows. She's dead. He wants revenge, so he goes into the village and he starts lynching all the using a lasso. He starts lynching all the warriors who. Oh, got, and I never thought of that as lynching, but yes, it absolutely, is. I mean, that's what it, is happening. It's yeah. what's happening. And the thing is, is you you can see it as a justified uh, revenge in a certain sense, but think of the difference between that and the scene with the white seal, right? The the seal, mm-hmm, right? He's he's the king of the jungle, and the sea, Mowgli is no king. He doesn't want to be mm-hmm. king. He wouldn't even think of being king, right? He wants to. He wants. There to, is no such thing as a king. They right. know it. That's right. That's right. And yeah. and he has lessons to learn from all the animals of the forest, right? The snakes mm-hmm. like this, and the yeah, and you know, Ricky Tikki Tavi is not anything like uh, Tarzan. <laughs> um, so he's taking he's taking that sort of amazing idea, and and the other thing is is Kipling says. Of his own book, I don't know where everything came from, but I'm probably drawing from other stories, not just stories uh, that I was right. told, but other stories are like this. And of course, fables are much older than this, you know, just stories with talking animals. But it's it's very impressive. This book it makes a huge splash, right? And that and the yeah. ripples from it are reaching us today. Uh, when I typed in this morning. The Jungle Book, and hoping uh, to get the Wikipedia entry for it. I did, but I got it for the movie. 
the most recent movie. You know, oh, Google's right. yes, the live action. Yeah, and like I, I didn't see, I didn't, I didn't Which watch I it. Seen. Yeah. It was supposed to be good, but it was. Fine. It was very beautiful. But oh, I'm it? betting they leave out uh, all the non Mowgli stuff. No, no, you know what? When I when I read this or or started listening to it, mm-hmm. I thought it was over. And, oh, like yeah. I was, I, and I was like, why is why is this thing continuing? What's going on? I didn't even understand what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because the other stories aren't told as a continuous, um, with a continuous character who we can follow. That's right. And that's why I was so surprised. Yeah, I also, but when you say Jungle Book, like I, you know, I, I yeah. think most people don't, I didn't know that there was anything other than Mowgli. And that's why it's a book, right? right? Uh, it's not, it's, and the thing is, is half the stories aren't even in the jungle, right? The, the, yeah, no, they're, they're in the desert. But it's or, the people of the jungle. Yeah, yeah it's the, or, the or animals. Or the ocean, and, like one set well, the in the ocean, Pacific right. Ocean, right? So how do you describe that as the a jungle book? Well, you guys, Maybe it's like the law of the jungle, though. I agree. Like, uh, I think that's what it is. Yeah. It's it's a well, way of bringing, bringing human values into the jungle and taking jungle values out of the jungle. And that's mm-hmm. why I loved, uh, I know, Mysa, you were saying the last story was really disturbing to you, but I really enjoyed it because I felt like as he told the different animals who were all showing up going, oh, I freaked out. And they're talking about their lives and their experience where the horse is like, well, when Billy's on my back or Dick is on my back. Mm-hmm. I'm never afraid. Dick knows what to do. And then you get down to the bullocks who are like, well, here's all we know. Mm-hmm. And clearly we all know as people, a horse is smarter than a bullock. Usually they all have their various values and their various ways of thinking, but they're just their natures Mm -hmm. make some of them able to understand a little more than others about the humans who are interacting or what they're doing. And so I loved his insight into thinking just the fantasy of how would they interact with each other and what they're talking about. Yeah, And then the whole idea of him bringing it around to showing the emir of afghanistan mm-hmm. here's what the here's what the british do they're putting it on display it's a big show to kind of bring this guy into line and he says now said he which is the emir or the central asian chief who's mm-hmm. in charge of afghanistan in what manner was this wonderful thing done and the officer answered there was an order and they obeyed mm-hmm. but are the beasts as wise as the men said the chief they obey as the animals do Mule, horse, elephant, or bullock, he obeys his driver, and the driver his sergeant, and the sergeant his lieutenant, and the lieutenant his captain, and it goes on and on and on. It says, yeah. uh, who, the gen, his general who obeys the viceroy, who's the servant of the empress, thus is it done. Would it were so in Afghanistan, said the chief, for there we obey only our own wills. And for that reason, said the native officer, twirling his mustache, your emir, whom you do not obey, must come here and take orders from our viceroy. Yeah. Okay. So, so what I was going to say is, um, it's really interesting to me seeing that and thinking about, as I've mentioned to you guys privately, our family has recently been sucked into the Bollywood movie uh, experience. And it's just so amazing to look at a completely different culture through their movies, which has the layer we can understand and the layer we know we're missing. Mm -hmm. Right. And one of the things is one of the best movies that when we met some Indian people recently and we're talking about movies, I mentioned Lagan, L-A-G-A-A-N. It's a four-hour movie. It is astounding. And they all just melted into little puddles and went, it's the best movie ever made. Uh Because it's about 
It's set in the time of the Raj, the colonial times, and it's about a little village that's been taxed beyond belief. And they fight back, and the way that they're going to be able to win not having taxes is if they can win a cricket match against the supercilious jerk who's running the local, you know, colonials or the local military. And so in the telling of this story, they wound up with um, you completely sympathize, if you're American anyway, with or if you're a human being, really, with the way this jerk is acting and with the desire of the little guy to get out from under. And as some, maybe Time Out or some, some site in England said, they said, oh, it figures. The Indians put forward this movie to as an Oscar representative that's railing against the horrible colonials. And it says, and that's the one the Americans picked to represent them. And I'm like, well, duh. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's a movie that shows you very much like this story. Here's how the British were able to conquer the Indians. And until the Indians all come together, because they were all these little kingdoms, they can't do anything. They can't be effective. And the whole story is kind of a progression of looking at this, really. Yeah, it is. A, that is the um, law of the jungle. But I, yeah, Misa, you should respond because you were well, trying to say so, okay, so, so, so for the, the passage that you just read, mm-hmm. um, there's that part where he says, but are men, uh, are, are the beasts as wise as men, said the chief. Like, so this whole thing was put on for spectacle. This right. whole thing. Right. It was just, just for show. Like there was no real, nothing except for the show. Right. Um, but but it could impress. just as easily, it could just as easily have been war. Yes. You know? Yes. But, so it says, but are the beasts as wise as men, said the chief? They obey as men do. So there's nothing about wisdom here. They right. obey. That's all right. he wants. And and previous to that, uh, when you were talking about the like the order of the order of animals and the hierarchy, mm-hmm. um, we we have what I want to know said the now this could be a whole metaphor for the relationship between um, the Indians and, and and the white people. But what I want to know said the young mule who had been quiet for a long time. What I want to know is why do we have to fight at all? And right. And then, because we're told to, said the tr- the troop horse with a snort of contempt, <laughs> orders. Like, what else is there, right? Well, now you're making me think of right. Animal Farm, which I don't like. I, well, I don't like Animal Farm at all, but I think it, I also it's don't. powerful. It's very I love painful. Animal Farm. I think, so I think Animal Farm is, 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 is powerful and important, and I don't like it because it... Agreed. It, it's got <laughs> problems that make me think about people too much i don't want to think about them <laughs> um uh, i have a copy of legan which i will share with my if uh i i oh, yes, yeah. I, I had a I, I, even when i'm not watching the movies i have good taste i i had the vhs copy <laughs> uh from years and years ago it's an old movie it's 2001 mm-hmm. uh, and it's three hours 44 minutes so <laughs> like excellent yeah it sounds good legan yeah once yeah. upon a time. Oh, in India. Yeah. oh yeah. my gosh. And it stars, I'm just going to say it stars Amir Khan, who unfortunately, when I first saw it, I'm like, he's one of what they call the three cons in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. They're the three most important <laughs> biggest stars there. But he's wearing this, this uh, haircut where I'm like, oh, if you weren't wearing a Mr. Spock haircut, the huh. bangs are very unfortunate. He kind of has these elf like ears anyway. Mm. So you have to ignore that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, and you're right, Misa, because I think that's what he's pointing out. The uh-huh. point is not that everybody's being wise, and that's more the Mowgli stories, right? The point is that 
through harnessing the order and obedience of everybody, here's what they accomplish. Whether we agree with it or not, that's, and that's what Kipling is pointing out. Uh-huh. We don't know why we're doing it, but we probably, I would say he would think we maybe we should think about it a little more. I think that's what he's saying. Yeah. You know, now that I think about it, I can think of one more author who was probably greatly influenced by this book. And that, that would be Jack London. <laughs> Jack London. Yes. Well, didn't we, we, we read when we read Jack, when we did Jack London, he said he, he loved Kipling. Yeah. Yeah. He, he did say that. But in a Was couple it? of books specifically, right? Now he is a great writer and he stole from all the, all the great writers, Wells and, and uh, Kipling. But um, specifically I'm thinking his two greats. And I was thinking about Misa, your daughter, who's stealing from a, yes. a great, right? <laughs> um, she the is. Call of the Wild. The Call of the Wild and White Fang yeah. are viewpoint from the animal in a world of humans or yeah. uh, into the world of the jungle, in this case, the Pacific Northwest. Um, this is a revolutionary book. I, I, I always think of it as my favorite book. I don't know if it is, but it's certainly... Really? Among, oh, yeah. It's, I, I haven't mm. done a show on it because it, I'm kind of intimidated about doing it because it's so good. And I've read it many times. I almost had the first chapter memorized. Right? Wow. And huh. it's, you know, I can even do the first line. Buck did not uh, read the newspapers, but if he had every Tidewater dog, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> but it just starts with Buck did not read the newspapers. Of course he doesn't. He's a dog. <laughs> and what happens in that book at the beginning is he is shown the error of his arrogance. Uh, at the beginning of the book, he's yes. kidnapped by a Chinese... Ga- oh, no, it's a servant who plays Chinese lottery um, who tricks Buck into uh, doing something he shouldn't. He says, well, you know, humans know better. They have some wisdom that we don't. And so he follows this guy into the wrong place and gets he gets shanghaied, literally put on a train, uh, sent to San Francisco where he's beaten... Um, and yeah. doesn't know where he's going, doesn't know what's going on, goes up to Alaska, and then has a series of uh, bad and terrible human experiences, um, and then one good one, and then, you know, his master's killed, and he goes off and becomes a wolf. And that's uh, it's just like the most amazing story. But um, <laughs> it, notice how, notice yeah, how it's a great. novel. It's a big story. And even... You know, it's great. When Neil well, Gaiman... probably, but for... Me, Jack London, is so painful, I can't read any of it. What? Really? You mean like painful as in emotional? It hurts. Oh, wow. I don't want to read about that dog. It's like when I was a kid, I probably could have read it when I was a kid. Like I could read Black Beauty and Beautiful Joe over and over, both Mm. those books. Mm. As an adult, I'm too sensitive to it. (laughs) And I came to Jack London as an adult. Yeah. You know, when you're a kid, you're heartless. You're like Mowgli. Yeah. Well, because you don't know what pain is, right? Right. Yeah. You haven't felt yeah. it deeply enough. Yeah. And I can't. Well, it's you, too you late for me. Hair. Your emotions what? are too uh, raw when, when it comes to not getting the toy you wanted, right? So you don't understand. <laughs> the, it's, it's the pain of the animals. I can't handle it, yeah, man. Yeah. Wow. Well. Anyway, continue. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, the, it, that's a novel. And uh, all the other adaptations, really, or inspirations from this book are not a series of short stories. So if, right. if we're anticipating the Jungle Book, it's a novel, 
and there's a setup for it, which we, we don't see in this book, like how Mowgli exactly came to be uh, where he was in the jungle. We don't actually mm-hmm. get to see. However, I think we sort of get a hint as to who he might be later on. We think so. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, they're not sure, but I, I think I'm more sure than they <laughs> I was, are. I was reading yeah. it realizing that later, at, by the end, my picture of him in my head was my picture of Kim. Mm, yeah, you know? yeah. They're the yeah, same, right? I, because it's essentially the same character. It's just in a very yes. different setting. And it is very much. As, uh, that's the thing I was also thinking about this book. It, it, it's very, um, it's nice to read because it's short and it lets you think about mm-hmm. about stuff. I was thinking about how basically all the writers who write really well, <laughs> the ones who write a lot and write really well, they're just telling the same story over and over again which is their story, mm. right? What's yeah. Mowgli's story? Yeah. It's the story of Kipling as a boy. Yes. Yeah. And he's, he's taking well, aspects, right, of his own life and magnifying the, them. Right. And that's the beauty of anyone who's an auteur. You'll see that in film also. Somebody like, um, I don't like every one of Christopher Nolan's movies, mm-hmm. but they all are doing the same thing, although through very different yeah. stories sometimes. Exploring. It's about yeah. what is true. I, what? They're, Did you say it's boring? No, exploring. They're oh, exploring. Yeah, they're really boring. I don't find them interesting at all. Nothing nothing going on in there. <laughs> I was like, monster. No. Uh, but yeah, That's boring, all, Julie. If, Move on. Whether oh, <laughs> they realize it or not, for him, it's about what is true and what is love. Mm. And that's it. And once he had kids, you could tell his movies changed. He, he but said, it was still love about the kids, same apparently. <laughs> yeah. 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 But and so with with Kipling, it's kind of interesting to look at all these stories and also the just so stories because he's got this innate sense mm. of I just love the way he can look at things from somebody else's point of view, but because he's telling it as himself essentially, he's relating it to us so well. He's showing the irony between how it contrasts with our own experience. And here we are, look how many years later, still experiencing it because he caught that humanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's such a deep love of humanity in here. Like the the mother wolf loves mm-hmm. Her mm-hmm. more than her own cubs. Right. And like, the, yeah. As, as melancholy as I found the, the it, um, he he does keep hearkening back to the potential of man and and mm-hmm. we uh, don't have to be that that cruel seal hunter mm-hmm. can be more mm-hmm. or yeah, we can not more. if we just obey the orders it just depends i also i found like especially some of it it felt like it's almost not futuristic i guess that's the wrong word for it but it felt super modern like reading ricky ticky tavi <laughs> I, I felt like there's no distance between me, uh, you know, my, like, I was just reading uh, last week, I was, yeah, I was reading William Morris, who is writing, I think that book was 1896, and it's, it, you'd think it'd be very similar, you know, sort of writing, but he's trying to do Thomas Mallory, so it feels like 1400, oh. it's very separate mm-hmm. like the the dosts and the vocabs are so mm. uh, grammar so distancing that it's hard to even know what's going on and lovecraft does the same thing you know he's he sort of tries to make it hard for you to understand so that you have fun when you figure it out but this is the opposite i felt ricky tiki tavi was like 
if that was written today, I would say, wow, great story, right? And I wouldn't think about how old-fashioned it was or anything like that. I, right. I thought it was so yeah. intimate and and uh, so close. Mm-hmm. And I, I think most of the book is like that, but it, it really stood out uh, in Ricky Tinky Tabby to me. I have uh, that, would, that was a light and fun one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I loved that death, one. Yeah, the snake deaths. That one was. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like in spite little... of the snake deaths, they were so evil. They had to die. <laughs> they were just trying to kill people. No, come on. Ricky Dicky Tabby's right about they, they're, they're good. They're good to eat. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm totally well, on. That's the one where. Right. And what I love about that one is they are the family and Ricky Ticky Tavi are living together just following their natures. In fact, all the animals there are just following their natures. Mm-hmm. And so Ricky Ticky Tavi, he likes sleeping under the boy's chin and he likes the bits of meat they give him. But he's going to do this not because he cares about protecting the boy nearly as much as he cares about this, my job, my nature to kill a snake. A snake mm-hmm. is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And it's just, and so that to me is kind of the perfect look at man and creature together. They're coexisting wonderfully and they benefit each other wonderfully, but they're each following their own natures, you know? Mm-hmm. I found. Um, He's also doing his job, though, Ricky. To, his business in life was to fight and eat snakes. Yep. That's his nature. That yeah. It's nothing greater to, to do than. Uh, or except being nuzzled in a in a bag on somebody's lap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's good too. Um, well, you know, if something falls your way, why not? That's right. Um, there's a great video of um, somebody. Uh, it's probably not new, but somebody with has had a baby kangaroo, uh, a joey, oh. and it it hops around, and then he's got a bag and he's holding, and then it hops into the oh. bag and and then sticks its head out, and it's like, oh, so cute. You know, yeah, it's like, oh, this is right. That's exactly the feeling right. you get when you, um, when you're reading it, right? When you're listening to yeah. that story, it's so, uh, it's it's like why people like to, yeah, they mm-hmm. like to hang out with puppies and kittens, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he grows and up and he becomes a uh, not just uh, you know a pet, but like a, a uh, he has a place. His job is to protect the family, right? It's the white mongoose. Right. right. And and it's it's in India, right? It's a veranda. They're on a veranda, and that's where mm-hmm. the animals... It's You need these animals to protect your house. There are snakes everywhere. And, yeah. and you know, a lot of the people around, like, literally in my building and neighboring buildings, they all have these tiny little dogs that are, you know, the kind that you... They're handbag dogs. You put them in the handbag, you take yeah. them on the bus, you go oh, right. everywhere. Um, my mom has medium and large size dogs because there's bears and you want the bears not to come into your house. So the dog scare. Good call. This relationship, right? When the dog barks, barks, it's doing its job, right? It's, oh yeah. It's important. Well, and there's some animals that I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. There's some animals like, uh, dogs, really dogs can be dogs in a pack off in the wild, but. Maybe it's because I'm a person. You feel like when a dog is with people, it's getting something out of life that it wouldn't have gotten any other way. Well, not like you're the pack, right? Well, yeah, exactly. But they're getting, um, yeah, and they're getting food and everything, but they're getting a different kind of love that, um, I don't know, that like, you know, working dogs, of course, were bred to work, but they don't have to work. Have you read that dogs domesticated people rather than the (laughs) other way around? (laughs) 
Well, I think it's a mutual thing. Well, yes. no, weed no. is also domesticated people, though. It's it's really interesting. All all the like the fruit fruit trees domesticated humans, right? They said that's all. Yeah. It, 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 and, well, it's just yeah. And cows domesticated all, humans. It's true. very interesting, right? Chickens. Yeah. But dogs came to us. We didn't go to them. It's it's very possible. right. Nobody would have thought of going and picking up a puppy or oh, well, a wolf yeah, it was cub. The, the dog, yeah, the wolves came and and they ingratiated themselves purpose. Like so, when you say they they come for something that they just mm-hmm. can't get anywhere else, they did. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I hadn't would never have thought of that, but that does make sense. And that's the thing of you know, when I take my dog for a walk, and yes, I wish I'd lived on a hundred acres so I could just let it run around. But that dog, well, I mean, once you understand, and now that they've done more research and they're like, here's how dogs communicate, here's how they think more, so you can be on their level also. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they speak with their eyes. So my dog will actually, like a squirrel will run across the street and up the tree and it, he looks at me like, did you see that? And he looks at the tree and he looks back <laughs> mm-hmm. at me and I'm like, oh, right, we'll go over to the tree. Yeah. You know, and it's, but it's that thing of, did you see it? I saw it too. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's, um, I don't know. Yeah. So I'm domesticated just as much as he is. And that's, um, and that's why I was so fascinated by all these other stories. Cause we talked about the white seal where the white seal is being purely an animal. I mean, they need to be away from people to be safe. Ricky, Ticky, Tavi, they're coexisting. Mm-hmm. They can all get along without each other. Well, the people, maybe not as much, but they don't need each other for sheer existence to my, of the elephants, the elephant. That had, was a nice story too. Mm-hmm. Right. The elephant, the, the the where they danced. That was really, yes. really lovely. Because he's down there. Uh, the elephant is Kalanag, I guess is how you'd say his name. He is thoroughly comfortable with his role with the humans, even though it's not what he would be in the wild. So much so that he'll help domesticate the young elephants. But mm. he also, and the other elephants who break away, they're like. But we have this, which is ours. They go up and they do the dance. And then they all go back to where they belong. They're like, we're fine with that. So it's kind of a mutual coexistence there. And then you get down to Her Majesty's Servants, which is complete domestication. And the level of understanding they do or don't have. And so it was just really interesting to me to see how he gradually was bringing it all closer to the world that at that time would have been really common. Um, Everybody would have had horses and cows and so forth. When I when I read uh, to my of the elephants, like my 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 thought at the end of it was, we are witness to the majesty of animals. Like mm. you know that that yes. little boy was witness to the majesty of animals. And then the next story was called um, Her Majesty's Servants, mm. which, which mm. was an interesting kind of flip. Yeah. There's a movie version but, of uh, To My of the Elephants from 1937. There is? Yeah, it's called Elephant wow. Boy, and apparently it's quite good. Really? Yeah, so it's uh, separating it out from, you know, when the, they do the Jungle Book, there's no uh, To My of the Elephants, there's no Ricky Tiki Tavi. Um, right. They, there's no The White Seal. So that that one, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't go watch any of the movie adaptations of the cartoons. I, I heard a little bit of the radio drama, which was okay. Um, yeah, it was, mm-hmm. it was all right, but uh, it's devi- deviation. Yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting too because it's there's distancing happen happening in the way Kipling tells it, where it's trying to make uh-huh. it more intimate there, and I I don't know I I re- I like the way Kipling does things. He writes yeah. he writes he writes good. 
Um, <laughs> I have yes, uh, I yeah. have a couple yeah. other things that are really interesting that you know, like I made the connection between Tantor and uh, and uh, I didn't know about Tantor until I read the <laughs> uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs' Tarzan, um, and then I'm mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, Tantor, I get it. And then I saw the Hathi one. Hold on. There is another strain. Um, the There's a couple of stories. Uh, the most famous one was turned into a movie called Cat People. You know um, you know this movie? It's a 1942 horror Which movie. Scott and I just talked about Did you? a week or two ago. What? Yeah, we just had an episode come out what? on it. Because, oh, my God. Because I love that movie so much. So we talked about it. So you go listen to that on... Good story. I want to now, yeah. So I don't know if you know this, but it's based on a story written by Val Luton, the guy who made the movie, producer of the movie. Do I know this? Okay. Uh, how <laughs> about this? Please. What's the Do name you. of the story? Not having looked it up since then, Let I don't know. Let me tell you. It's called the Bag- the Bagita. And oh, like Bagheera. Exactly. Bagheeta, because it's a lady. It's the female it. of the right. Black Panther, right? The panther right. that shows up in this book. Um, and that's not the only time. That that story came out in 1930, which is perfectly uh-huh. in line with thinking, you know, somebody reads the Jungle Book and says, that's interesting because Val Luton isn't, you know, he's not from India. <laughs> he's Russian. Uh, moved to the United States. Wrote this story. When he was young. Uh, and then 12 years later became movie producer. Um, and adapted his own story for it. That it appeared in Weird Tales, right. by the way. It's public domain. Um, because they, um, because RKO was having problems with everything, and they said, okay, here's how much money you can have for it, for each one you do, and we're going to give you the titles. You can't choose those. Right. <laughs> so they gave him one called The Cat People, and he went, oh, holy crap, what am I going to do? And went, well, I have this story. Let's Maybe we could do something with this. So adapted it. Nice. That's crazy. Really? Oh, yeah. So you have, um, well, the Body Snatchers was easy because, and that's, I discovered him because somebody had reviewed a movie called I Walked with a Zombie and said mm. it's basically Jane Eyre and Zombies nice. in the Caribbean. <laughs> and if you guys haven't seen it, so I went and got it and it happened to be double DVD'd with the Body Snatchers, which was an amazing version. Which they had version? to, they added something. Oh, the it's Body not Snatchers Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, of, of yeah, Robert Louis Stevenson's. Right. It's, it's got Boris Karloff and, um, oh gosh, uh, another famous one like that. Um, anyway, and they're both playing straight parts. I mean, villainous, but not monsters. So you should watch it. It's it's really good. And so then we went, well, what else has this guy done? And we found the cat people. And it just and that was the one, and then I'll stop, that saved RKO, who had lost a zillion dollars doing Citizen Kane the year before. Wow. And this one made so much money. They were having to push their other movies back because so many people went to see it. Wow. The cat people. Yeah. Wow. Done with the history. All right, so the Begita, I, I want to point out, it is on, uh, it's, it's Canadian public domain, so people can read the story that inspired the Cat People movie, which I have yet to see. I want to do a show on it, but now I'm going to have to listen to your show first. Um, there's also <laughs> another Weird Tales from 1935 story called the Black Begila, which is kind of redundant because it's, huh. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. this one's by Bassett Morgan, who's he's got a great name. Uh, Bassett Morgan's 19-page uh, story 
I uh, just read the editorial synopsis for you, and you can see how everything's getting mixed up as years go by, and Edgar Rice Burroughs goes by, and uh, things happen. A story of brain transplantation, huge apes that spoke <laughs> with the voices of men, and swirling, dancing black leopard cat in the in the Maharaja's court. So oh. it takes it takes um, H. G. Wells is uh, the island of Doctor Moreau. It takes right. Richard Kipling's um jungle book and it throws them together and says hey we got a new story and it's like isn't it fascinating (laughs) people really yeah they're just what they do is they read a story and they say well this is important and interesting they forget about it and then they write their own Mm -hmm. right and the connections it, it it's it it's so interesting like um you know we in the modern era there's a uh channel on youtube that does you know sort of science fiction history and it's quite good i think it's called extra credits um and it's got a they just like did one on cordwainer smith um you know like a seven minute video and with a almost cartoon style very good um and people say you know heinlein asimov and clark right Heinlein, Asimov, and Clark, those are the big three science fiction writers from the mid-20th century or whatever. Well, Mm -hmm. people forget um, there were previous writers in previous generations, and one of the ones um, was Kipling, and he had a friend whose name was Jerome K. Jerome. Oh! Jerome K. Jerome was, I just did a show on one of his stories, um, he wrote Three Men in a Boat, which is his most famous book and a really amazing book. Everybody should read. It's really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the editor of a magazine called The Idler. <laughs> this is a magazine of comedy and, uh, <laughs> you know, fancy enjoyment. You know, what you do on a Sunday afternoon, you read The Idler. Right? Um, right. And uh, it has lots of funny, very interesting stories. And a contributor is uh, Kipling who was also offered the editorship uh, of that magazine, um, but oh. turned it down. He moved to the States um, in Vermont. His daughter was raised right. in Vermont. What the hell? I had no idea Kipling was there, right? Wasn't he a teacher or running a college? Got to have or... been, right? Yeah, he was a dean, I think. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, uh, the those two guys heavily influenced Heinlein. Think about... Um, we we did uh um what Heinlein book recently was it uh, Citizen of the Galaxy Citizen of the Galaxy, Galaxy which was influenced by Kim and um we're we're gonna do uh I yeah I think we're gonna do I don't know I'm afraid to Stranger in a Strange Land <laughs> okay, did you many hear about people this? are afraid of that book yeah so. and rightly so it's so big. <laughs> Um, is it so big? It's so big, and why? Why is it so big? Um, did you do you know why we're gonna do this, Julie? Did you see the tweet? I don't know. Okay, Virginia Heinlein suggested that Heinlein write the Jungle Book about a story about a boy being raised by Martians. Oh, I didn't know that. Who knew that? How interesting. Uh, what? Like, really? <laughs> So he's he, huh. he's influenced by uh, these two these two writers who came before him, and of course Wells, right? And he puts mm-hmm. he he puts his own spin on it, becomes a big deal, and then time goes by, and then somebody reads a Heinlein book like um, Charles Strauss 
reads uh, Friday and says, um, well, that was a weird book. And I, I like a lot of things going on in it, but it's problematic in this way. And this is what I'm going to do with it. <laughs> and then he writes Saturn's Children, which is, uh, if <laughs> let's take it a step further, right? Um, not only are artificial people in existence, they're the only people in existence left. Right. Oh, it's it's a really interesting book because they're really working through ideas that were laid down before. And there's this hidden history behind the books we we really like. And I'm convinced that the reason books are really good is because somehow they're working on something true. Right. There's some something behind it. They're not just photocopying the plot structure and saying I can do that. What I saw in that other book is those books suck. That's my theory. Um, the good books are the ones where there's, they're working through the idea. So when I'm anticipating us reading uh, the Graveyard book, I think about like how it's different in my memory of it uh, than this book is. Right. So it's got an opening sequence that shows how Mowgli, or in that case, um, Bob, right. uh, gets uh-huh. to where he is in the jungle, or in this case, the graveyard. And then the series of trials that happen later on and the problems and, and like different characters who come in and what's the role that the ghouls play? Like, are they in this? So he, in solving his own novel, right, which I think is even better novel than uh, Coraline. I, I really like um, Coraline, but I think, oh, yeah. I think Absolutely. Graveyard Book is even better. Um, oh, yeah. I've not read it yet. Oh, well, oh really? I'm looking not forward yet. to talking to what you about treat. it. It's a really good book. As fun book to read, it's fully illustrated too, which uh, I gotta think has something to do with the Jungle Book being fully illustrated, right? Yes. I mean, it's it's hard to find modern kids books that are, are also for adults that are also illustrated. Pretty rare. Mm. Well, and that book, the Graveyard Book, is interesting because I read it and then much later found out that he was doing it as a tribute yeah, to the Jungle must Book. Must have been right. And I. And I never picked up on it, but maybe I'm just not a very open reader. But I just went, oh, the minute he said it, you know, it was like everything unfolded in my brain. Right. Went, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so true, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And like, it, he, he, um, he doesn't I, have to I, say I, it. He just, he writes it and then yeah. the book works and then, oh, yeah, it's a fact, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Misa? Oh, I was going to say that when I was, um, I was reading about people that, that dislike Kip. Uh, Kipling for oh. a bunch of reasons, and then and then I, I found a quote by Neil Gaiman, uh, and who said it would be a, a poor sort of world if one were only able to read authors who expressed points of view and one agreed with entirely. It would be a bland sort of world if we could not spend time with people who thought differently and who saw the world from a different place. Kipling was many things that I am not, and I like that in my authors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Just yeah, it, exactly. He just wiped the slate, you know, like all the oh, he's too problematic to read. How dare you read? Like all that stuff's just wiped off the table. You got a clean table, and you say, let's just yeah. read this book. What do you think? Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm I'm reminded of Rose, who my daughter, who always says she doesn't ever read the life stories of the people whose books she likes. Because she says there's stuff there's stuff about their lives that if it's not in their book and I'm not dealing with what they say in their book, I don't care. She says that's not the point of the book. 
Yeah, and a lot of people who object to Kipling or Dickens or various things are objecting to things about the people themselves and not the stories they wrote. Yeah, mm. I, 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 I usually find more sympathy in the stories. You know, well, there's a famous one, um, a famous case. I, I don't know a ton about the guy, but O. Henry. Um, everybody oh, knows yeah. O. Henry, right? Um, he's, his most yeah. famous story is, uh, what about a lady who cuts her hair and... <laughs> the gift of the magi. The gift of the magi, right? And the, he buys her a comb and <laughs> she, she she buys him yeah, a chain for his, his watch and he sells right. his watch, right? It's a very clever story. Uh, very well yeah. done. He's he, that's what he's made of, right? His very clever stories, very well done. Right. Um, apparently, he was a criminal. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Like he was a fraud <laughs> fraudster. And well, he, the good news is he found another place to do his business, which is in fiction, uh, where it's legal to be a fraudster, right? <laughs> right. And in fact, you're rewarded for it, <laughs> right. and it's moral. So, uh, you know, I'm sure there are like, I think. Uh, uh, there's some people who Roman Polanski, right? Uh, I don't, I don't really care to not. I, no, I have to watch his. I have to say Chinatown is worth watching, whether he's a, a, a bad person or not, because it's an important movie and it's well done. And I guess I hated the movie. I, so. Oh, I think it's super powerful. It, it's not a movie that makes you say, "Oh, good, life's, life's great." <laughs> It's a movie that says no, no, life's terrible. But it's <laughs> I, yeah, it, it's, I just hated it. But it, what I can watch movies that I you know are powerful and blah blah blah. I just and but I realize I'm in the minority. You know, I get that that's just me not liking his style. He, he's definitely he's definitely um, he's definitely got a style, and I'm not I'm not a fan of all of his movies. But um, I I think. That yeah, you you can take like I used to until I found out how stupid Arthur C. Clarke not Arthur C. Clarke Arthur Conan Doyle was with the fairies and the oh, uh, all oh, that yeah. stuff. <laughs> you have to ignore that. Yeah, you, you just like yeah. say, well, actually, it's it's good for me to know that not everybody who who seems smart is smart all the time, right? Because that <laughs> means I I might yeah. not be smart all the time when I think I'm smart. So it, it uh-huh. it's a way of right. showing your like uh, to be modest about well, your claims of being a super genius, <laughs> because you're gonna make a mistake. You're gonna make a mistake yeah. like this brilliant guy did, and like foolishly, yeah, exactly, year after year, foolishly doubling down on ridiculous things, or <laughs> uh, you know, or think about Roosevelt, uh, the first Roosevelt, um, losing his son to a war that he was promoting. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like well. Yeah, you feel real bad now, don't you? And he's just like, yeah, I do feel real bad now. Yeah. Um, yeah. We we make mistakes. We're short sighted. Yeah. We also live we live in the context of our time, so we can't see beyond it sometimes, which is what makes Kipling really unusual mm-hmm. in um, a lot of ways. Even though he can't break free from it in every way, because we can't. We that's who we're social people. We live in our society, and it influences us. But and and we're just sometimes we're just stupid about things. Uh huh. You know, Dickens and his late love. It makes me. It makes me. You know, uh, reading a book like this makes me want to read more old books because you know who I haven't visited (laughs) in a while and I really like is Mark Twain. Hmm. It's like oh uh, yeah, somebody sent a quote the other day in the bottom of an email like oh yeah of course it's like you just 
he got everything right, basically, back then. He's like, yeah. And, you know, he was a fool, too. He kept investing in things that were right. bad for his uh, finances. But, you know, he, he, you could see why he was doing it, because he's fascinated by this stuff and hopeful. And and and, and then yeah. when, when he loses all that money, he's like, he's got a witty phrase to go along about how stupid I am. Right. Exactly. It, it, it humanizes them. Totally, humanizes everyone. Totally. And and that's well, what that's we like. Them, troubling, right. right. Well, that's also part of a troubling trend these days, which is that if as soon as someone is discovered to have a problem, that becomes more important than anything else. Yeah. You know. And and it's like nobody's taking the whole person or the whole situation or the whole whatever into context. Mm-hmm. And I hope this trend will pass soon. Mm. Mm. I don't know. Now, um, I... Well, I don't know. If I discover one thing about you I don't like, Misa, does that mean <laughs> I should never talk to you again about books? I mean, that's the no, kind of no, thing... No, no, I'm doing. just thinking about how the world is, is under such a, a big magnifying glass that's so contained and confined. And it's hard to see a big picture because we're living so much in the moment to moment yeah, to moment. Don't, don't live like, that. Yeah. yeah, don't, can we, don't watch can the news. Can we step back? the way we are right now, it's impossible to see a whole life because we're, we're focused on the minutia. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, and I think that's the thing where Jesse and I before were talking, and you, of course, were in the conversation, but about, you know, people being thin skinned these days mm-hmm. and people taking offense at things that are that like 10 years ago, people would have kind of gone, oh, what a jerk and blown it off and not worried about it instead of turning around and attacking them mm-hmm. publicly for it. Or and meaning just like Facebook or Twitter, right. like you're saying with the minutiae, we are all too connected in that way. I, I, mm, I'm not so. sure. I, I, I think a lot of that is just performative. You know, it's like I want attention. I uh, Yesterday I tweeted. Yeah, too. One of my students was saying, uh, do you know who Logan Paul is? And I'm like, I think he's a YouTuber. And, and then I was thinking about why he's famous and like, I'm pretty sure he's famous for nothing. He's like just famous for being a YouTuber, right? And then I, he's, right. And my student finished his his thought about this guy, and he says he's boxing some other YouTuber on YouTube, and then they're selling tickets. Like, um, this is these are, and so what I tweeted <laughs> yeah. is, you know, in the 1920s, the way that these kinds of people got attention was they climbed up on the end of a flagpole and sat yeah. there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> why yeah. are you doing that? Because I have no skills. And I need attention. <laughs> no. <laughs> and can people give that. them attention. That's right. Then and now. But the, the thing is, is you know, they become famous. You know, there are some movie stars or, I don't know, TV, reality TV stars who who get their attention from, you know, like just needing attention and acting like a jerk or acting like a fool or inflating their body parts with, you know, various chemicals or I don't know, implants or whatever. <laughs> and and it's like, yeah, well, uh, how about write a good book and then I'll, I'll pay attention. Cause <laughs> right. Now, uh, in anticipation of reading the Jungle Book, uh, sorry, not Jungle Book, the Graveyard Book, um, yeah. I want to recommend both of you, if you haven't already, read a book. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I've already done a show on it, so you, I can't uh, do a show on it all again. But um, it's called... A fine and private place. It's by Peter S. Beagle. And Find a private place. A fine and private place. Oh, a fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now right. it's from 1960, 
Um, and it is about uh, Mr. Rebek, who lives in a graveyard. Mr. Rebek is not dead. He's not a ghost. Um, but he's sort of stuck in this graveyard. He's been in there since his wife died. And uh, Peter S. Beagle wrote this book and another one, which is more famous, called The Last Unicorn, which I haven't read. Uh, it's super well written. Um, reminds me of the quality of, you know, like Lawrence Block or Donald Westlake style writing. Um, although the tone is slightly different. It's set in New York. And it has talking animals, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also has um, a fact about it that's just a stunner. Um, he wrote it when he was 19. And it feels like it was written by a man in his 50s. So hmm. put all that together. Um, and you will find it a, I think, the precursor and the connector between the graveyard book and uh, between the, uh, the graveyard book and the jungle book, because it's a man who lives in a graveyard, and there are ghosts in the graveyard. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and he's so well known in uh, fantasy circles. Yes, he is. He's very well known, uh, uh, mostly for the Last Unicorn and the movie adaptation. And I know right. nothing about him other than I read this book. And it's a very good book. It's relatively short. I did a show on it with uh, Juliana Kutzendorf from uh, uh, the Science Fiction Book Review podcast. And uh, it took us a while to get uh, to, to do it, so we had uh, lots of time to prep, you know. <laughs> and uh, I think it's a really... I think it's a good show. Um, and I also... I'll make the connection to uh, Pose the Raven, which is, is where I think he, where Pe- Beagle is working from. He's working from the Raven and the Jungle Book mm. um, a little hmm. bit. And then uh, you combine that with, it, it, it's like there's a hidden history of science fiction and fantasy where you can see writers connecting things together. And then, you know, 50 years goes by and they write a book and then, Another 50 years goes by, somebody else writes another book. And so you can see these threads, uh, like with all the all the Starship Troopers gets to become the Forever War, which becomes Ender's Game, nice. which becomes John Scalzi's uh, whatever the one where he has a... Ro- the old, old Man's the War. The Old Man's That's War. Right. Yeah. And there's these like books in dialogue or books in conversation uh, years right. after the effect. And even, uh, as I pointed out, I, I don't know if you guys remember this or if I just did it somewhere else on another podcast, um, <laughs> that even uh, Starship Troopers has an antecedent, which is a poem by Rudyard Kipling <laughs> called M.I., as in um, Mounted Infantry, um, mm-hmm. M.I. in, in uh, Starship Troopers is Mobile Infantry. And, okay. and it's that connection, uh, you know, remember that he starts off as a grunt and then he ascends to officer status, okay. right? That's, yeah. that's something right. that Kipling would never have done, ascending to officer status. Whereas um, for a guy who was an officer, that's something Heinlein can do. He starts him off as a grunt and then he becomes a sergeant and then he becomes an officer and he's reluctant to do it. Because he's a Kipling character being forced into a Heinleinian role, right? <laughs> it's great stuff. It's fascinating to see these connections. 
Yeah, just the influences, whether known or unknown. Yeah. And sometimes when they're known, they're just, you know, launched off of anyway, because everybody's then using their own imagination to say, well, what if? Yeah, he never mentions Kipling in the whole book, right? Um, oh, well, there's something also, though, you, when you said that was inspired by a Kipling poem, we didn't mention that between most of these stories or incorporated in them poetry, is poetry. Right? Yes. Either as song or just a commentary. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of charming little, sometimes they're just little descriptions like Darcy's chant mm-hmm. sung in honor of Ricky Tiki Tabby, so, um, which is one of the birds. And sometimes it's things that, you know, explain a little more like Tumai of the Elephants. It starts off with something from mm-hmm. Tumai's point of view or an elephant's point of view and then launches into the story. Mm-hmm. And those make it kind of elevated also. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm exploding with connections here. I just found, thought of another one. <laughs> you, you reminded me of big, giant spider webs. Yeah. Being w- woven around the world with all of these connections. You guys know uh, the author Saki, a.k.a. Hector Hugh Monroe, H.H. Monroe? Oh, yeah, Saki. Or, or uh, you say Saki? Saki, I don't know. I don't know how you how say, say it. Say it. <laughs> I love him so much. He has yes. a very famous story uh, in the book, The Chronicles of Clovis, called Shirendi Vashtar. Oh, yes. Um, let me read the description here, if Mysa, you don't know it. The story concerns an unhealthy 10-year-old boy named Conradin, who lives with his strict cousin and guardian, Mrs. DeRope. Uh, Conradin rebels against her and invents a new religion for himself, which centers on idolizing a polecat ferret he calls Sharendi Vashtar. He imagines Sharendi Vashtar to be a vengeful, merciful, merciless god. Conradin keeps the ferret hidden in a cage in the garden shed and worships the idol in secret. The story comes to a climax when his cousin sets out to discover the, his god. Um, so this is actually the same story as... A Ricky Tiki Tavi, except it twisted, right? <laughs> Instead of being embraced by the family, he's he's hidden away, and mm-hmm. instead of being, um, uh, you know, a cute killer, he's a deathly killer. <laughs> um, and <laughs> deathly uh, God. I, I'm I'm starting to like the story more than I do, thinking about how it is like why is why is the uh, why is this boy, who's obviously not Indian, and Mrs. Darop, again, not Indian, uh, have a, a a snake, no, a ferret god, polecat god, named Sharendi Vashtar? That's totally an Indian sort of name, right? It's got to be yeah. because of the influence of, am I crazy? I think you're right, because I started thinking of another story he wrote, and I can't remember the name, and it's a married couple, young married couple, and the wife says, well, I think I like the idea of reincarnation. If I ever died, I think I'd come back as this, or maybe this, or maybe this. And so what happens is she does die. And I now I can't remember the impetus if these various creatures that she listed, they all come back and make themselves known to the husband by being uh, destructive. Wow. And I think it's because he's going to marry somebody else. He's going to have now a new wife. And so whatever animal she said first, like an otter or something, comes back and it's it's eaten all the eggs or, uh, you know, killed all the chickens mm. or maybe it was a ferret. And then And then when that's killed – the next thing she said wow. suddenly shows up and is destructive, and it ends up with a little brown servant boy who's oh. 
broken all these things because she's oh maybe a little brown servant boy they seem to you know and so all of them are directed increasingly at you better stop this relationship and it's not direct but he knows the connection and that's a very indian concept right the Mm -hmm. reincarnation revenge and uh, so I'm thinking maybe he was influenced also by something like well, Kipling um, it, or it, various stories. I don't know the timeline for both of them. Yeah, though. it is after. It's, but I think he was more recent. Yeah. But he was, I'm looking at this, he was born in Burma, which was under the Raj. Oh, so like, okay. this is an alternative. Um, but it, it's almost he's an alternative Kipling. <laughs> he is an alternative Kipling, but thinking about like how he's born there and like Kipling, he goes home, right? And mm-hmm. then, <laughs> just a weird line, listen to this. In 1872, on a home visit to England, Mary Monroe was charged by a cow, and a shock caused her to miscarry. I was like, what? Um, <laughs> just a, <laughs> charged by a cow. It's like, even England's dangerous now. Uh, <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> it's a place where you can sleep out in a field. The worst thing that can happen to you is a hedgehog pricks your foot right well or <laughs> snake might bite you I mean, no i guess not, <laughs> not um, like well yeah you also make me think though now of one of my favorite authors for some of her books i don't like all of them rumor godden mm-hmm. who grew up in she was raised in india got sent home to england got brought back and she writes some of the most beautiful prose you'll ever read and some of it is set there with you know the interaction of Regular people, well, regular people meaning from the British point of view, and then the Indian natives, mm-hmm. who are generally not very highly regarded. And one of them, I remember, is about a young woman who essentially, from the point of view of the British people, she kind of goes native. She starts, she runs a ballerina school, and she you know, does these various things that everybody starts looking down on, because mm-hmm. she's fraternizing with everybody. And this was a lot of Rumor Garden's own personal experience also, because she loved the servants a lot more than she loved her own parents mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, in her autobiography, she wrote two volumes of, and the first one very definitely reflects a lot of those experiences. Nice. So, yeah. So there's just something also about that common experience, evidently. And childhood, too, right? Yeah, right. It's, right. it's what forms your... Uh... Your stuff, what you're going to be thinking about and worrying about and writing about, I guess. Well, like um, Anne of Green Gables, which <laughs> Craftlet is partway through, Ooh. where one of the teachers says, and I'm listening because I haven't read it in I can't say how many years, but one of the teachers says to the, the young people who she's preparing for college that you should be careful of your influences and everything when you're this age, because up to the age of 20 is when your character is formed. Mm. Because after that, you can still add to it, but this is when the basic stuff is formed. I'm like, yeah, exactly. This is what we're seeing here, too. You know, it's what do you do with it later as an adult, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I uh, I, I think I did a show on it. Um, I don't remember who or when, but I did a show on H. I'm pretty sure I did. An H.H. Monroe story called The Storyteller. Uh, Saki story. You guys know this story? Oh, I don't. Not oh, immediately. So good. <laughs> so funny. Um, <laughs> I'll read the Wikipedia description here. Is that the one about... I thought there was one called The Open Window. There's an open window as well, but this is a different one. Listen to this. Okay. An ant 
is traveling by train with her two nieces and nephews. The children are inquisitive and mischievous. A bachelor is also, who is the H.H. Oh, Monroe yes. character in this story, right? A yes. bachelor is also traveling in the same compartment. The aunt starts telling a moralistic story, but is unable to satisfy the children's curiosity. Because she's a terrible storyteller. Um, <laughs> the bachelor butts in and tells a story which is good, in which a good person ends up being devoured by a wolf to the children's delight. The bachelor is yes. amused by the thought that in the future the children will embarrass their guardians by begging to be told an improper story. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't the aunt complain and say, that's a terrible story? And he says, yes, but I kept them quiet for yes, 20 minutes. which now, is something goodbye. you couldn't have done. And yeah. <laughs> she, she uh, is an exemplar of a certain kind of person, like uh, the kind of person who is... It's all about the short term, right? If I can calm them down for two seconds, then I can, uh, I will have a little peace. Instead of like, no, you can't, you know, it, it's like bad governorship, right? If you're if you're running a province and you're ta- taxing it to death, you're gonna get a rebellion, right? If you're if you're running a country and you're t- if you're you know, uh, doing things that hurt the people, you're gonna get a rebellion. You can't, you have to be sensitive to what the needs of the people are that you're supposed to be in charge of and this this ant right is not is is um a childless woman and so is the bachelor right but the bachelor mm-hmm. knows what kids like which is really s- stories that speak to them and what's so great about that particular story is that he essentially takes the story that the ant tries to tell and inverts everything about it, right? It's a her story is about how good little children did what they what they were told and were uh, rewarded for it, right? Which is no story at all. And he says there was a girl who was so good, she was ho- how good was she? She was horribly good. What? <laughs> she was so good, she had a medal for obedience and a medal for honesty and a medal for being quiet, right? And she goes into the into this park because she was so good she was permitted to go into the park. And then a wolf comes into the park and she tries to hide from the wolf, but the medals on her chest are shaking because she's so afraid that the wolf finds her and eats her. End of story. <laughs> wow, what a great story! That was a great story. Yeah, right? <laughs> he he just like totally. He, he, you can tell he makes it up on the spot. I mean, the character does in order to do this. But this story could have happened, right? I've been in well, situations with, like that where I can see somebody just doesn't know how to manage children at all. And other teachers or parents sometimes it's like, oh, that's not the way to deal with this. <laughs> well, and also it's that whole thing that everybody hates in a story. I'm, It's a teaching story right. and I'm going to forget about the story part. I'm going to teach you something. That's and right. it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, and uh-huh. heavy handed that's so worse. that you can see the st- you know them steering away from parts they that they don't like, right? They I don't want right. to I don't want to teach you about that because that might make you think of this. It's like oh, you can't we can't who would like that story? You're not thinking about yourself as an audience. Yeah, exactly. Right. You're only think of They've forgotten what it's like to listen to a story. Yeah. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. I had a dream that I got sick. Uh Uh-huh. Now I'm worried I'm sick.
but I, I don't know. No, I, don't know I think you, I am. you got through it in your dream. Y yeah, so far, but that so, might be a premonition, you know. It could be a premonition, or it could be the experience encapsulated, done. Uh, that'd I be nice. Yeah. I'm going to take that's an what, apple right going. now to check, see if I can make the doctor uh, away sort of thing happen. Let's see. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> well done. <coughs> I got to go... <coughs> gotta go find an apple yeah you do i've been i i made a pot of chicken soup like it was so big i've been eating chicken soup for three days and, oh, no. and it's still going strong wow that's tough i hate being sick i, I hate loved being, being sick when i was a kid and skip out on school but those days are gone yeah now it just makes everything worse Mm-hmm. except I, I don't mind being delirious <laughs> How often are you delirious? I can't say that I'm delirious ever. Never been delirious? I don't know. You mean like so feverish that you start having delusions? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, no I, I don't think so. Um, It's only happened a few times, you know. Yeah. Just get a temperature going and I'm like, wow, things are really weird. <laughs> <laughs> No, I haven't. Uh, uh, it's something I will look forward to <laughs> now. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not necessarily good. It's just, it's it's interesting, I guess. It's, yes. And it takes you out of your sickness in a certain sense. You're, yeah. you know, you're high on your own brain or whatever. <laughs> I'm looking for Julie, but I don't see her online yet. That doesn't mean she's no, not I, coming. She's usually not late. I certainly hope she shows up. Yeah. Oh, there she is. Good. Oh, I just have to find her on the other computer here. There she is. Add to group call. Hopefully she comes online and says hello. Hello. Good hello. Ooh. Are you sick? Sorry, Lily? I'm a What? Are you sick? No, I was drying my hair. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Everybody's getting I, I, sick or dreaming of getting sick here. No, no, I'm not sick. I'm not dreaming of getting sick. I'm not allowed to get sick. In a week, I'm going to get very busy. So, yeah, no okay. sickness allowed. No sick. Okay. Because I can stop it by sheer force of will. We we know this, right? <laughs> that's that's how the universe works. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm working on it, Julie. Are optional. <laughs> <laughs> I've given a terrible challenge to the universe. It's all going to go. You have to be so careful what you say to the universe. Flaunting <laughs> in its face. <laughs> I know. I'm surprisingly uh, superstitious that way for somebody who claims to be a devout Catholic. So, you know, <laughs> we're none of us perfect. Well, you know, you don't want to say anything nice about somebody's child, right? <laughs> oh, is that one of those things? That uh, was in the book. Oh, that's right, the gray wolf. Right, right. Save I've it for been, the podcast. Uh, yeah, uh, no. no, I was going to say I've been reading, um, I've just gotten sucked into the ghost stories of E.F. Benson, which he wrote a surprising number of. Mm -hmm. And um, it sounded like something from one of those, so my head wasn't uh -huh. in the right place. Right. I'm putting my phone to sleep. I am waking myself up. <coughs> 
I know. That's why I was going, I have till 10 o'clock. You guys are, you know, on different time zones and all. And I'm just going, no problem. And I always wind up with 10 minutes to go going, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> get breakfast, get ready. <laughs> so. All right. Um, I'm going to finish chewing my apple. And then. He's keep he's keeping the, the illness at bay with an apple. That's yeah. science. That's <laughs> Proverbial science. <laughs> and such a healthy breakfast. Yeah, an apple a day. It's from my mom's tree, so it tastes better than regular apple. Oh, Ooh, yeah, it does. What apple is it? It's, uh, I think, I want to say, and it's not golden delicious. It's one of those ones where they marketed the name really well. And it's like, oh, oh. that's really good. And then I forgot what it's called. I, I took pictures. Is it a yellow it. apple? It's, it's like a, it's red with uh, yellow stripes. Or something. Oh, that sounds like a well, golden delicious. I it's not golden delicious. Golden? Uh, it's it's like yeah. that kind of name, you know, where it's like they're oh, made up names, yeah. but they're that they're, they're really good tasting apples. Mm-hmm. And you're well lucky. Yeah. So many apples taste like shit now. Oh, that's true, right? Just for the yeah to be able to send them across country and stuff. Honey yeah, crisp. They've, they've lost their taste, but you got one right off a tree that tastes amazing. Yeah, they're called Honeycrisp. I just looked them up in my own tweets. Oh, right. Yeah. It's Those are some that tasted great developed. until the copyright ran, or whatever, trademark, <laughs> whatever ran out, and then everybody could grow them. And the, I live near this amazing grocery store that has always, like, at least 14 kinds of apples. Mm-hmm. Really? And, yeah, they showed up before you could get them anywhere else. They were getting them from New Zealand or wherever they came from. And because jazz apples, the same thing happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, after however many years, suddenly they're like from Chile, from the U.S. I'm like, oh, damn it. Uh-oh. Now they've ruined them. And sure enough, they're not as good as they were. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> well, they're, they're pretty good from the tree. Um, no, that's... It, it, they're so good that when you, <laughs> you go to peel off the sticker, you find there's no sticker that says organic because <laughs> yeah. it's so fucking organic. <laughs> It's a right up. <laughs> it doesn't damn. even have a sticker on it. <laughs> like literally, I went to pick one up and I'm like, "Where's the sticker?" Oh right. <laughs> oh my gosh, I still remember when they put those stickers on the first time. And I'm like, "What is wrong with people?" And here we are. At least it's a minimal packaging, you know. Like, I can handle a sticker on a banana, or. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah. like I, I I really like Anaheim peppers. They're like a kind of semi-sweet, hot pepper. Oh, huh. And um, there's only one store I can buy them at. They don't come on a styrofoam tray. Like, I don't need a styrofoam tray. Are they so expensive That's you have funny. to bundle them? And it's like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. It's funny because ours, <clears throat> they just have them in, you know, little tubs mm-hmm. all next to each other, all our peppers. And we, of course, got a lot. And um, yeah, I bought a jalapeno yesterday to do something with this week. And it was five cents because it was by weight. But nice. I could just pick out a jalapeno. Yeah. That's a way to do it. Well, yeah. if you yeah. can. Yeah. A lot of stores don't let you. Yeah. All right. I'm so you go down to the local Fiesta, which if you guys are <laughs> over here, would blow your freaking minds because it's huge, like a huge Kroger's or whatever grocery store you've got. But it's it's Fiesta. It's not catering to you and me. It's catering to a Hispanic market. And they have tripe, they have, you know, oxtail, they have, oh. and they have so many kinds of peppers, dried and whatever. Nice. Yeah. That's what I'd did, like. Did, is, is Julie cutting out for you, or is that nope. just on? Oh. Nope, she's coming just in clear for me. Okay. 
Okay. Just a bit, bit of bad internet in between uh, Texas and, okay. and Ontario. I'm Speaking sorry. of Ontario, uh, did Paul visit you already or not yet? No, Thursday. Thursday. We have a date on Thursday. Hopefully, oh. you'll be better by then. Hope, hopefully, I don't want to. I don't want to give him some some foreign bug that he'll take and spread across America. <laughs> it would be worth it to meet you in person. <laughs> come on! Oh, come on! Of the, course, the country will give it up for face to face friendship, man. <laughs> I would. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. I, I kind of like staying home and not getting sick. <laughs> I kind of like staying home, not being sick. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. All yeah, right. Jesse's staying home anyway, so. Yeah, I'm staying home. Yeah. Yeah. I can't blame you. I do the same. <sighs> it's nice. I mean, there's bad things about it, but there's so many good things about it. Yep. Except I did just get back from Charleston where we met four people who, via New York and London, were actually from India. Wow. We, oh, we had an amazing. Well, yeah. Well, and I was just thinking, oh my gosh! And it, it, we didn't really talk about much for this, except they're like, finally, our our history is getting rewritten, you know. And I'll save it for the podcast. But the thing is, is that um, we talked about Bollywood movies. Mm-hmm. I love Bollywood. And they could well. And we have gotten down the Bollywood rabbit hole. So we've been watching all these movies. And I was like, you guys, I can't believe how much we're learning about your culture just via movies. Because when we were watching, I said we never understood new. That you and Pakistan are like you, the U.S. and the USSR used to be. And they're like, oh, Pakistan. And I said – and they suddenly started spewing out all these movie recommendations. And I said, yeah, when we saw Ekta Tiger and they went, oh, never have we known Americans who've seen the movies you've seen. <laughs> it was very gratifying. So. Nice. Um, I, I, I need you to know that you both are clicking – in and out, so I, I I'm missing bits of sentences. Well, why don't we um why don't we uh, have you hang up and uh, I'll call you back. That sometimes clears the problems. Okay, I, I have a feeling it's my computer because when I did a Skype test call, it did the same thing to me too. Oh, uh, sounds like your internet then. You got any way to check and see if there's any background uh, stuff going on? You got a Mac or? A- PC? I have a Mac. What kind of background stuff could there possibly be? Millions of things, but um, presumably mm. like there could be a download happening, like uh, uh, some oh, update yeah. or something. Or if you're well, uploading, let me go, but that you'd probably what if I go, I'm just, I'll go up, I'll, cl- I'll click out here. Mm-hmm. I'll go upstairs and shut down the other computer. Yeah. And, okay, oh, good I'll idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, ping us one. Yeah, that'll work. So how's Julie? Good. Good. Like I, like I said, we went back. To, we went to Charleston. We went to Muscle Shoals. So we got in all our swamper kind of music history. <laughs> that that was for Tom. Um, although after the documentary, it was also for me. And plus, I found out I'm there, and I'm like looking around, and he's got. Okay, we have to go to the Alabama Rock and Roll Music Hall of Fame, and we have to go. There. <laughs> like, wow. Okay. And well, yeah, it's you know not that big, but anyway. Um, and I'm looking at the little map, and I'm like. Helen Keller was born here. Wow. And he goes, Oh yeah. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you missed like the most important born. part. I know. So we went to her house and saw the pump and the little cottage. And wow. Yeah. Wow. To me, that was, I was like, Holy crap. I know. Yeah. Wow. I know. I, I was like, you could see her walking between the pump and the house, right? 
You really, you really could imagine that little girl doing that. And they're like, we used to have 600 acres. Now we're down to 10. So they have some nice grounds. But it was just that thing where I was like, I suddenly, the whole story came back to me, you know. That's um, interesting. I saw the dining room where the famous food fight happened. I saw that, you know, everything. I wonder how, how uh, that story must have been, like, it must be waning, right? There hasn't been a Helen Keller movie in a, in a while. I was wondering, and um, but Rose said she knew the story. And when I said I saw the pump, she goes, ooh, does it still work? Yeah, so yeah. They, at least she's 28, so at least that story has gone that far. But yeah, I wonder if they she got dropped out I, for I can't, something. I, can't, more I mean, it's so out of the popular, like, people don't reference Helen Keller anymore, you know, like. Uh, yeah, and. When you think of what she did, because, and you're probably more familiar because I had forgotten or never knew that she actually decided she would teach herself how to speak. Mm-hmm. And she did it by feeling people's throats and their facial expressions and practicing. And then they played a recording of someone who was not her, but they were speaking the way she would have it was a deaf person speaking. And um, I was like, Oh my gosh. And, you know, as we know from what Marley Matlin or whatever her name was, mm. who that actress, mm-hmm. I'm like, how could you do that? You're blind and deaf. You know, amazing. Did yeah. Did you just see a movie, a Helen Geller movie? Oh, no. No. I went on vacation and we stopped at Muscle Shoals because <laughs> it's a music place and my husband was interested. And I'm looking at the little map going, Helen Keller was born here. And he went, oh, yeah. And I went, oh, yeah. Guess where we're going today? <laughs> so I saw the pump and the cottage and the that's everything. Cool. Yeah, that's what I thought. So anyway, I was so impressed because we also went to W.C. Handy, who is the father of the blues, his little log cabin that he was born in and a reconstruction of it and heard a whole history of him. And I never knew about him until my husband was talking about him. For him, this guy was like Helen Keller in a way. And deservedly so. He was a so. blind deaf musician. <laughs> no, no. Well, he was uh, he was uh, born in like the late 1800s, black in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, so the end of nowhere, to a uh, father who was like a Baptist minister or some sort of minister who was like the guitar is the devil's instrument. Mm. And so he had to sneak off with a teacher who went, you have extraordinary talent, who taught him Liszt and Hayden and Chopin and all this stuff to give him a musical grounding. And then the things he had to go through to become who he was, and he wound up becoming a music publisher because he went, and he went blind from a fall when he was 70. So he lived was Lived to be blind. 91. Yeah, well, eventually. <laughs> but he went through all the horrible hardships of anybody who's a musician and black in a terrible time period and all this stuff. And then, um, and from nothing, you know, from no background. And then overcame that, learned Braille, all this stuff, went on music publishing. And so he facilitated the careers of some amazing people because of that. And so it was like the bookend to Helen Keller and then, because if you guys have never seen the Muscle Shoals documentary, no, you should. It's it's redemptively, it's very it's it's a great music story for people. Well, at least my age, who you know, uh, the '60s and '70s and music in this little place beyond the end of nowhere, where suddenly the Rolling Stones went there and recorded. Wow. Um, Ella, uh, not Ella Fitzgerald. Um, Ella Etta James and Aretha Franklin got her start there. That kind of thing. And um, but the story of the guy who started it is surprisingly inspirational, and the end has a very redemptive ending. And so it's more than a regular documentary. Nice. 
And that's why we went there. But um, anyway, so that one place and the fact that we were and then I'll stop listening to the boys in the boat, which my husband hadn't read and his wonderful, wonderful audio book. Those four stories, I spent the whole vacation thinking about the effort and, and strength of will that's required to overcome things and how it builds character. And that that's what we're lacking a lot these days because our life is too easy in many ways. Uh, so, done. I'm I'm looking everything up as you so here <laughs> reeling them off. Made me think of oh, yes. uh, there's a movie I saw and I hadn't thought of it since since probably I saw it. When did oh, it came out '86? Crossroads. It's a Ralph Macchio movie. Remember Mm-mm. Ralph Macchio? He's the he was the Karate Kid. He's the Karate Kid, yeah. Yeah, so it's a it's like a it says a coming of age musical drama uh, inspired by the legend of blues musician Robert Johnson. Oh, stars yeah, Ralph Macchio, um, and he he's like he gets a it's kind of like a magic guitar. <laughs> okay, I was gonna say because he's not black or okay. No, so. but it's got <laughs> it's black not, guys in not. it, right? So the black guy right. serves as his um, uh, his muse. Uh, well, uh, people, I, I just noted somebody's saying there's comparisons to uh, to uh, the Karate Kid. Who's the who's the Mr. Miyagi? Oh, Pat a, uh, Pat Morita, Sak- right? Kur- Oh yeah, Pat Sakura or Pat Morita. Okay. So Pat Morita plays the you know karate master. Um, and, uh, right. And in the crossroads, there's a there's a equally like you know old wise black man who serves as the uh, guitar master, I guess. And then mm-hmm. there's a legend of like uh, how the devil meets at the crossroads and you blah blah blah. I can't remember the yeah. movie that well, but. What I do remember, it was a good movie. And then that made me think, um, do you know YouTube's doing their own uh, TV shows now? Oh, they're producing their own TV shows? Yeah, there's a bunch out. Um, And (laughs) one of them is really weird. It's it's a remake, not a remake, it's a sequel TV series to um, The Karate Kid with all the actors who are still alive. Um, really really yeah it's called cobra kai so it's it's really interesting because the bad guy the bad you know teenager kid uh is the main character and the villain is ralph macchio uh so they took the original premise right and they said you know you know the karate kid learns karate because this bully is mean to right and then what is it 30 years later or maybe even 40 years later, almost, um, they come back to those same characters in the same place. And the Ralph Macchio is really successful. He's got, he's like, owns car dealerships all over the place. And, <laughs> and has yeah, a lovely wife and family, right? And then the, uh, the bad guy, he's still driving the same car he got in high school. And his, his, you know, getting fired from his job and, only thing he has going for him, he's still good at karate. So he opens up a, a karate school and uh, takes a bunch of kids who are, you know, at school being run down or whatever and trains them up. But he trains them as the bad guys. 
And so it's, oh. it's very interesting. It's, it's Kick sort them of, when they're down. Yeah, well, like like there's one kid, there's a really good scene, and I'm not sure it's the first episode, but I think the first episode's for free on YouTube, um, where uh, there's a kid with a hair lip. You know, he's had surgery mm-hmm. to have his palate fixed or whatever. Um, and uh, the main character, I can't remember his name, uh, he he's like really in politically incorrect. So he just calls him lip. Right. And he gets really <laughs> yeah. embarrassed and upset and angry. Cause even this guy's who's he's turning to for help is, you know, being mean to him. Yeah. And then he says, dude, if you don't like, if you don't like it, you got to change the way people think about you. Right. You got to own it. And so he's got uh-huh. like this sort of really shitty, good, but good advice. And then yeah. <laughs> the next thing that happens is you you see him go away and he comes back with a mohawk, and now he doesn't call him Lip, he calls him Hawk, right? Oh, and it's like okay. it, it it's it, it's really interesting because it very fits sort of with how uh, you were saying you know we have it too easy. This is mm-hmm. a, a sort of artificially hard uh, in right. the sense of the show, but but. There are a lot of people who they're just whiny all the time. <laughs> Their parents yeah. are too easy on them, and so many thin-skinned, uh, whiny yeah. people and over stuff that in in I hate to sound old, but in my day, you know, everybody go, oh, yeah, fine, whatever, move on. Well, but the thing is, is there really there really was something to fight against. Like there was really bad stuff going on, it, a terrible abuse, and it still happens. Oh yeah, and it's supported by you know, it's 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 supported by structures in place with authority and all sorts of things like that but people have sort of turned victim victimhood into a badge of authority right which is crazy what you should do is you know get past it make yourself stronger not let it happen to people around you but make sure that those people are not wholly reliant on you either, right? They need to build some character because you're not always going to be there. Uh, right. So, anyways, I, I just thought it was a weird, uh, a weird show that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, I watched it, I guess, early in the summer or something. And mm-hmm. then there's a really interesting show on Netflix. You guys should check out. Um, I tweeted about it. It's. Um, it's so a, you know I didn't see it. Yeah. Well, do you have Netflix? Because I'm pretty sure it's a. It's, yeah. 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 What is it? It's called uh, Norseman. Norseman? Oh, I've heard of it. Yeah. I think you were it mentioning is. it before. Well, I only started watching it like two weeks ago or so, I think. Okay, then there was something else that someone was talking about. Well, there's about, a show called Vikings, which is. Uh, maybe that was it. Yeah. So yeah. It, this is kind of a parody of of Vikings. It's not a parody, but it's kind of it feels like a parody when I first started watching mm-hmm. it. I didn't know anything about it. I just started watching. Didn't know how long it was or whatever. Um, and I, I'm I'm like, okay, there's some guys in a boat, right? And they're s- sort of paddling towards some fjord. And then one of the guys in the back of the boat says, um, now when we get there, you're going to expect this and that, right? And then realize that the people he's talking to are like tied up. <laughs> they're slaves, right? Right. And, uh, and the, the, the Norsemen who are bringing them in from England or wherever they've stolen them from. Uh, they seem really nice until they're totally mean, right? Right. And so every character on the show, 
every character on the show except for one is like just a, such an asshole, crazy person um, or idiot. But also, you don't care because there's it's so funny. The jokes are so based on mm-hmm. weirdness of of the Viking huh. lifestyle. So there's a scene yeah, early have on. To try it. Yeah, there's a scene yeah. early on in that same first episode where you don't see the context, but you see all these old people hiking up the side of a mountain, right? There's like six old men and uh, one younger slave, uh, except you don't even find out he's a slave. And he says, okay. He says to the old man, he says, he says, okay, who would like to go first? <laughs> and by the way, this show is filmed in Norwegian and English simultaneously. And they just, you know, oh. do two versions of the show. Okay. Um, yeah. So he gets he gets to the top and says, "Who would like to go first? And nobody volunteers. And he says, "You Olaf, you you're the oldest. Why don't you go first? And he says, "Well, I don't really want to go, but I'm feeling a little <laughs> bit of peer pressure here." <laughs> and so he runs towards the side of the cliff, jumps off, and he says, "Do Valhalla!" as he falls. Right? Yeah. 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 And then they look down and they see his splattered corpse on the ground far below and he says who's next yeah <laughs> and, and the rest of the guys are like i'm not sure i want to do this yeah. <laughs> but it's very honorable it's very very honorable says the slave and he says yes but i don't want to do it do i have to do it and he says i'm a slave i can't order you to do anything and he says oh well huh, that's settled then and he says but if you want to do me a favor says the slave <laughs> Just don't come back to the village. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then when the next scene is like, did they jump? Did did, did they They're all just do gone. it? Yeah, they, and it's like this is a real thing from Viking culture, right? Like mm-hmm. to get rid of the elderly. Really? So oh, it's like and everything that they do, like that they they're pulling from Viking culture. You'll see on the Viking show, and it's it's done straight up where it's hard to watch and it's brutal and unbelievable here. It's exactly the same, except it's hilarious. Right. And Cause they're putting a modern oh, twist on it. Well, yeah, it's, well, it's very, um, future. It's, it's very, um, self-conscious. Well, it's money in a certain Python sense. kind of. Yes. Uh, oh right. yes. That's exactly what right. it is. You're right. Yeah. It's like the bring out your dead. Well, I'm not quite dead yet. Yes. He's dead. Yes. He's dead. Yes. Well, do, do, me, do us a favor. Looks around. <laughs> clunk. Thanks. Here you go. <laughs> you know? Yes. Oh, I didn't think uh, of it. It is exactly Monty Python. Very nice. Yeah. I just Norseman. Norseman. Yeah. Norseman. And it's also nice because it's short. It's only like six episodes, I think. They're half yeah. hour. There's yeah. two seasons. Oh, though. half hour. Okay. Yeah. Very right. easy to oh, watch like and that. enjoy. It's We've been funny. looking for something that's a half hour.